From Mountain Home to Raft River, we've got all the District 4 analysis you'll need to know. This is the Magic Valley PrepCast with Scott Burton. That's right. Another edition of the Magic Valley PrepCast, the first for the year 2022 here on IdahoSports.com, breaking down everything going on in District 4 in the state of Idaho. Brandon Bainey, as always, with Scott Burton. Scott, uh, how did the holidays treat you? Whew, I tell you what, they're still going because <laughs> we've had snow days to start the semester here in Jerome. So we haven't been back. Uh, so the holidays are going. But uh, Santa came to the house, which was uh, a little bit surprising. I was touch and go whether I was on the nice list or naughty list, uh, depending on who you ask. But uh, uh, everything went according to plan. Family in town for a couple of weeks. So and it was just one big giant Burton party for a while that uh, apparently is still going with the snow. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I think we were both on the naughty list. Uh, the, the last time we recorded was prior to Christmas. And uh, I sent you a text after we recorded uh, our all, all-time podcast downloads after our last episode was at 666, <laughs> which is... That's right. That's right. Yeah. So we needed to do something about that right away. And uh, I don't know if we did. We yeah, well, hibernation, both of us. Right. And then we, we didn't record a podcast last week, not because, I mean, you were ready, willing and able, but I was under the weather. I, I actually had a bout of COVID-19. I got the Omicron variant, like everybody seems to be getting these days. And so I was, I was out of commission for like 10 days. It really kicked my butt. So dang, did you have it before? No, that was the first time. That I've was had the first. It. Okay. Yep. So, okay. Well, so now you're indoctrinated. Welcome to the club. And, uh, now you're a superhero moving forward. That's right. I'm uh, I'm a card carrying member of the club now. So <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yep. And and like you you mentioned, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. Snow day Monday, snow day Tuesday, snow day Wednesday. So far, not just at Jerome, but a lot of schools yeah. in the Magic Valley. I think every single basketball game in the Magic Valley was wiped out last night. Yeah, and that's the tough part about having snow days. Everybody's like, oh, hey, great, you get to stay home. It's like, well, no, not really. Still got to go to the office, still got to do work. It's not going to not be there. But the hard part is now we're trying to find all these alternate dates to reschedule these games, and uh, we're just kind of running out of time. You know, so, I mean, we any more of this, and we're going to be playing, you know, at 3 a.m. in the morning on a Sunday, you know, because that's the only time we can fit it in. So it's going to be interesting if this continues. Yeah, that's the the perils of playing in a big conference, that Great Basin Conference that has seven teams in it. A lot of league games you've got to get in. So um, let's recap what what happened this uh, this past week, really 10 days or so. A lot of good basketball performances, but I, I think the top performance we have to start with is the Cary Boys. They went over to the truckstop.com tournament in New Plymouth, which is a, a 2A school and the host playing up for the most part, playing a lot of bigger competition. Carrie ends up winning the whole tournament. Yeah. I mean, boy, what a kickstart to uh, 2022 for Carrie on that one. Um, you know, they, they played really well, you know, and that was a tournament that they needed because, you know, Carrie season up to that point, I mean, was they won three lost four. So they were on a four game losing skid going into this. And these are the tournaments that can give you some momentum into, you know, the January, February part of the season. And they did well. I mean, they didn't win. They won. I mean, their average margin of victory was 21 points. And like you said, they're playing up. I mean, they beat 
Horseshoe Bend to open the tournament, 70 to 54. Took down Liberty Charter, 61 to 35. And Liberty Charter's got a winning record on the year. But I think that one of the most impressive one is when they beat Garden Valley in the final. You know, I mean, that was a team, and they beat them by 21 points. And this is a team that had a six-game winning streak coming in and now has a 7-2 and two overall record. So, you know, you, you want to talk about a, a springboard for Kerry. Uh, their defense was awesome. They put three players in double figures each game. And so, I mean, boy, you could not have asked for a better tournament if you're Kerry boys basketball. What is it about Kerry? They always seem to, uh, even if they're in the middle of the pack, um, they seem to just figure it out. And this time of year, it seems mm-hmm. like every year when we get into the new year, they always seem to kind of get it figured out and, and become a team that nobody wants to face. Well, and that's what happens when you just have a culture of, of winning. And it's not just in Kerry basketball. I mean, it's just Kerry in general. You know, uh, they, they just, they're gamers. They, they face adversity well. I mean, you know, they may not ever be the most talented team, but they're going to be a team that you don't want to play late in the season just because, you know, the culture at Cary High School is, you know, we'll get it done when we need to get it done. And uh, you're right, Cary's in the middle of the pack right now. They're six and four, um, just kind of hanging out. But, you know, we both know that uh, it's not about hanging out. It's about getting hot at the right time. And uh, we're heading into the final two months of the season. And, and I think you're going to see Cary play a, some of their best basketball. Yeah. The way the standings are right now, nobody has played a league game yet in that, in that sawtooth conference. They, they play every, everybody once basically that counts towards the conference record. Um, but you've got Camas County at seven and one Dietrich at six and one and carry now at six and four, three teams got to state last year from, from the conference. And we could easily see that again this year, they get two and a half bids to state. And so it's going to be fun to watch these teams all battle it out as we finally get into conference play. Oh, absolutely. And, and this conference, as we learned in football, is just loaded with, with talent and athletes. And, and they pretty much dominate the 1As, you know, Magic Valley does with this. And uh, I don't see this being any different. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see coming down the stretch where Kerry does fit into that mix behind, you know, those two teams that are doing really well in their conference. Uh, next Tuesday, January 11th, Kerry at Dietrich. That'll be kind of the first salvo in this, in this battle Royale in the uh, Sawtooth conference. So we'll, we'll talk about that next week and yes, uh, we yeah, recap what happened there. A couple of other basketball teams that were in action. You know, we get past Christmas and we have, it seems like always that week after Christmas, there's a ton of holiday tournaments that are going on. And so, uh, sticking with boys basketball, uh, we have the East Idaho holiday classic, uh, which is kind of co-hosted by uh, a couple of schools in Idaho Falls, Idaho Falls, Rigby, Thunder Ridge, and Skylight. It's it's a four-school venue, which tells you the size of this tournament. There's a lot of good competition. And Mountain Home went over and competed in this tournament and, and did fairly well. Yeah, Mountain Home did, did just fine. But the big thing about these tournaments, and we're going to talk about a couple of more here, is that it's, it's a great kind of measuring stick as to where you're at because you get to accomplish a couple of different things in these tournaments. Number one, you get to play teams that – you don't ever get to see. Uh, number two, you get a state tournament setting because it's usually a three-day tournament with three games and you try to set it up in a way that kind of resembles the state tournament. So you, at least you have something to fall back on 
if you're fortunate enough to get there, you know, and so these coaches are taking their teams and they're remembering those lessons and how they're going to bounce back from loss. How are they going to handle this team they've never seen before? You know, the, the difference is they're going into these these tournaments without any scouting at all. It's just you show up and play. And uh, but it is such a cool thing to do. And, you know, you see a lot of these teams and we just talked about Kerry being one of them that find their stride or get some confidence heading into the second half of the season. And uh, Mountain Home did, you know, fairly well. You know, this is um, uh, a team that has definitely got the pieces to make some noise in the Great Basin. You know, game one, they lost a century, uh, started slow, couldn't shoot the ball very well, struggled at the foul line. I mean, that was kind of the theme for Mountain Home throughout this tournament. But the lesson is that's also resembling state tournaments because you're not playing on your home floor all the time you're playing in different gyms and and weird rims and whatever the case is you better find a way to score to basketball in these strange environments and uh, mountain home didn't do that in the first game against century they lost um they uh they beat idaho falls 49 42 kind of bounced back from that and uh, then beat sugar in double overtime 41 to 31 but i think the thing that mountain home has taken away from all of this tournament anyway is that defense travels, offense doesn't. And once you learn that lesson the hard way, you know, you're going to grind out these wins. And I think Mountain Home heading into that second game realized that, hey, our defense has to be there all the time because we're not shooting the ball very well. And as they kind of adopted that little mindset, they were able to win the next two ball games. So, you know, they're walking out of that with some pretty good lessons uh, learned. And, and like I said, this is a good team. Um, you know, Brandon Bethel averaged almost 15 a game uh, from Mountain Home in this tournament. You know, he's kind of their all conference guy, you know, and he's close to hitting a thousand points on the career, you know, so that's going to be coming for him, you know, in this season. And, uh, you know, and plus on top of that, and you don't talk about people don't talk about this enough, but six of their 10 varsity players are 4.0 students. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so Mountain Home uh, turned in the corner, heading into the final two months of the season, but got some really good positive positive results at the East Idaho Tournament. I love the fact that they went there and were able to hang their hat on defense because it seems to me, Scott, when you get to state, the state tournament every year all of a sudden becomes a physical battle and calls that were being made in the regular season aren't being made at state because for the most part, I think they want the players to decide it and not the officials. And so you, you have to learn how to kind of win ugly sometimes and, and play good defense and, and be more physical and, and battle through that. So I, I, I think this was a good test for mountain home. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because you get comfortable in your own conference, you know, you get used to seeing the same officials, calling it the same way all the time. But that's the other thing these tournaments give you is a completely different perspective on the way sometimes games are going to be called. And uh, and it also kind of teaches you some lessons down the road, too, about what it takes to win basketball games. I mean, and I, I think we may have mentioned this uh, in a prior uh, podcast, but, you know, I've been calling these state tournament games forever. And they, the winners all have something in common. They score in the paint. They play defense, period. That's it. You know, I mean, granted, you got to have a ball handler and got to have a big guy, but whatever. But the thing is, they score in the paint and they play defense. 
And those are the things that travel to foreign gyms, to state tournaments, you know, that, that able, you know, enable you to survive outside of your home floor. And, and I think through this tournament, Mountain Home realized that going into the second game and took that lesson to heart. And, and, uh, and I think that's, what's going to pay dividends for them down the road. Yeah, I really like this Mountain Home team. You mentioned Brandon Bethel at point guard. They've got John Tetralt at 6'5 inside, and then and then Xavion Parker, who's 6'4, but he he has a really nice outside game. He he can go inside and bang down low, but he he can also shoot it from the outside too. So Mountain Home five and three overall, one and zero in the conference. Of, of course, Jerome is still kind of the the lead dog in this race, eight and one overall, three and zero in the conference. My question to you is. Who gets that second spot? Right now, Mountain Home and Minico seem most poised. Now, Minico's record is deceptive because they've played a really tough schedule. They're three and four, but they have a, a three-point loss to Shelley that came on a, on a buzzer beater three. They lost by two to Post Falls, one to Blackfoot, and one to Emmett. So their four losses have come by like seven points total. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Minico does because they are playing you know, without their point guard and their, and their best player. Um, Brevin Trinkle, you know, and so when he comes back, it's going to be, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how they gel as a team because they will not have played together hardly at all this season. And Brevin's that guy that Minico needs to score points. You know, Minico and and Coach Brady Trinkle, who's a fantastic coach, they're going to dirty it up. They're going to, they're going to make it ugly and, and, and just kind of make you uncomfortable. But what they had prior to this is they had a score in Brevin. Now they're trying to ugly it up and and manufacture points. So if they get it together with Brevin coming back late in the season, why not Minico being one or two? Uh, Jerome stays healthy. It's theirs to lose. Burley kind of emerged as the next best team in Minico's absence. But, you know, like you said, you can't count out Mountain Home because they have they've got the pieces. And if Bethel plays well, man, that kid is a gamer. I mean, that kid can really play. So it's Jerome and then everybody kind of right here. Uh, and, and we'll see what happens. Should be fun. Definitely. Minico has yet to crack the 50-point barrier, speaking to the offensive problems that uh, you were talking about there, Scott. And real quick, can I can I just rant about something? Real quick, the late the latest boys basketball coaches poll came out today. I don't know if you saw this, Scott. Jerome beat Preston head to head, and Preston is still ranked ahead of Jerome in the poll. What's going on there? Well, I think that is because when you are Preston and you are there year in and year out, and you make your home in the polls, you kind of get that favor you know for Jerome it's like you know what fine let's just put that on our bulletin board and see what happens later you know but uh, I think that that is I think a um, a reputation ranking not that Preston isn't deserving not saying that at all but when you kind of factor in hey they lost to the number four how does that work well there's your answer yeah, we saw that with the max preps rankings. Now we got it in our coaches' polls. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's move to girls basketball. And speaking of these holiday tournaments, there was a really big one over in Boise, the Timberline tournament, which was co-hosted by Timberline and Bora, which coincidentally enough are the two best 
5A teams in girls basketball over there in Boise. So there was a lot of good competition. Um, we saw both Minico and Burley go compete. Let's start with Burley first because I think they had a, a, a more of a gauntlet in terms of opponents. They, they had a lot of tough games over there. Yeah, they did. Uh, you know, Burley went into this tournament undefeated on the season. And like you said, I mean, when you are one of the top 4A teams in the state, why not go play some of the best 5A teams and see what you got? Well, they ended up taking their first loss in the tournament as well. But uh, the thing about Burley going into this was, uh, you know, they, they were a little bit depleted in the ranks. They had to bring some JV players along with them. Um, they were missing some varsity girls that were on vacation. So, I mean, it, I don't know if it's indicative of to kind of how strong Burley is, but it allowed some of these other players to step up in, in an absence or so. And so game one, uh, they took on a pretty good 2A team in Coal Valley and uh, beat them 55 to 41. Coal Valley's 11 and four, and three of those four losses for Coal Valley came at this tournament. But, you know, Coal Valley 2A, I mean, keep that in mind. You know, Coal Valley uh, lost to Burley by 14, lost to Bonneville by one, and lost to Bishop Kelly by eight. You know, so, you know, this is a Cole Valley team that can play basketball and they opened up with Burley. Burley took care of them. And one of the things that uh, Coach Whiting told me was that, man, this team was a really good basketball team, really impressed uh, with their program. Uh, game two, they ended up uh, losing to Bora 43 to 42. You know, one of the hosts of the tournament, one of the better 5A teams. And it was the first loss of the year for Burley. Um you know, and Burley was up up four going into the fourth and lost that one on a buzzer beater. You know, so they, they are right there. But here's, here's the interesting thing about that game. And this is what, you know, Coach Whiting is smart enough to realize, too, is that, okay, we just mentioned that a lot of these tournaments are set up to mimic a state tournament. And here you have Burley just taking their first loss of the year. But they've got to turn around and they've got to play Mountain View, another 518. So the interesting thing was how were these girls going to respond to losing a heartbreaker and then having to come back and play again, you know, and that's what you, you try to put your teams in those positions before it ever happens at state. So you can draw from these experiences. And, and this couldn't have worked out, I think, perfectly for Burley because they needed that loss. They needed that experience uh, to draw from later on because Burley most likely is going to go to the state tournament. But uh, so they came back against Mountain View and just wiped the floor with them. 61 to 36 was the final. Um, but uh, they responded, you know, and I think that is what you want to take out of these, these tournaments. And I think even though Burley lost their first one of the season, they're going to gain a lot of lessons are going to pay off down the road. Yeah, every coach will tell you that they, they want a good non-conference loss on the resume because you can learn so much about your team coming off of a loss. You don't want that loss to come in, in league necessarily, but a good non-conference loss, and that's what Burley got there. Um, yeah, Cole Valley Christian, Scott, is the top-ranked team in 2A girls basketball and one of the state title favorites, so that was a good matchup for, for Burley. And also, of course, Amari Whiting, we talked about the last time we talked about Burley, and we talked about she set the record for most points in a single game. She is now the career points leader at Burley High School as well with a season and a half still to go in her career. So, <laughs> I mean, think about that for a minute, for a minute right? <laughs> Holy cow. That's, that's uh, absolutely insane. So there's going to be 
a lot of exciting stuff coming from Amari in the next uh, year uh, or so. Yes. Uh, Minico was also competing at the Timber Lion, and they've, they've kind of had an up and down year, right? They're they're five mm-hmm. and seven overall. Um, and they also saw a, a gauntlet of teams, three 5A opponents. And they, I, again, I, th- I think they learned a lot about themselves. Uh, they did. I mean, first of all, Minico is young. I mean, it's made up of three seniors, four juniors, four sophomores. I mean, that's the core of their team. So they are young. Um, and so they're going to they're going to learn these lessons real quickly. And again, just like Burley, Minico goes to this tournament trying to to get themselves ready for what potentially could be a trip to state. But right now in the Great Basin, it's I mean, Mountain Home and Burley are running away with it. But you never know what's going to happen if there's an injury. And uh, these teams have got to be ready to step up when the time comes. So, you know, you go to Ferminico, game one, they lost uh, to the number two 5A team in the state, Timberline. Uh, got thumped, Timberline 13-1. and one, uh, And Timberline's only lost this season, came in this tournament to Coeur d'Alene. So, I mean, it tells you the caliber of teams uh, that were here. You know, and so Minico is a little bit down in numbers, too. You know, they had to start a different lineup due to injuries and girls that were missing at the tournament. And, you know, but you know, they, they hung in there for a little bit with with Timberline. Uh, but again, how are they going to bounce back after kind of getting it handed to them? Game two, they beat CUNA 41 to 39 in a wild, wild finish. Uh, you know, these girls for Minico, they were limited again with injuries um, and then it really got interesting early on because CJ Lotta, their kind of all world player for Minico got three fouls in the first quarter, you know, with two minutes left, she's on the bench in the first quarter and is sitting out till halftime. So now Minico is struggling to get some rhythm going with their, their number one player on the bench. Um, they went into the half down by seven and uh, they came out in the second half and eventually took the lead with 18 and a half seconds left. And so what they wanted to do at this point, and this is where it got really nuts is they wanted to keep CUNA in front of them. So they kind of came up with the pressure, but they, they overextended the pressure, gave up a wide open layup look behind them and the girl missed. And so uh, the shortest player on Minico's team uh, Avery Page gets the rebound and gets fouled. So they walk down to the other other end and she makes one of two. And uh, so that gives a two-point lead to Minico at this point. Well, somehow Cuna drives the length of the floor, gets a wide open layup, misses. The girl gets her own rebound, misses again, and the ball's kind of hanging around on the rim as the clock expires and it falls off. And that's how Minico <laughs> escaped. Cuna uh, 41-39. But, you know, even in that game, you know, talking to Coach Bateman, it was like there's always a lesson. And the lesson is no matter how it ended, whether or not you felt you deserved to win that or lose that, you know, some things aren't in your control. You just found a way to get it done. You battled the foul problems with Lada and uh, you stepped up and you got it done. And so they took that momentum you know, into a game with Centennial, 5A Centennial, and only lost that one 49-44. You know, so you, you want to talk about these teams learning a lot about themselves through these tournaments. You know, Minico is another team uh, that did that. You know, they, they don't feel they played very well 
against that centennial team because they, they learned that uh, a lot of the little things are going to add up. I mean, defensive <laughs> rebounding assignments, missed layups, easy shots. That was Minico just struggling. Um, but again, the lessons they're taking out of this uh, is, is really, really cool. And one of the things that they did that they found a lot of fun is, uh, you know, all the hotel shenanigans that go on on these trips or kind of the bonding things. Well, Minico did uh, a breakout or a, yeah, they did a breakout room, right? And it's uh, they had an hour to get out of this room, find all the clues, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they got out in 44 minutes. So they they're going to count that as a win right there, too. So they actually came away. What? Two and two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I wanted to put the spotlight on Minico because they do kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit. Like you mentioned, Burley and Mountain Home are kind of running away with things. Um, but I think Minico has got a really underrated player in, in CJ Alotta. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think she is, you know, Amari Whiting, when she graduates, I think that torch is going to be passed down to, to CJ in terms of the premier player in the league. I got to watch her as a, as a freshman last year play and the way she handles the ball and the basketball IQ. I mean, you can kind of already see it. She, she's a phenomenal player for Minico. Oh yeah. And you know, and it's so cool to see Burley and Minico who are natural rivals anyway have arguably the two best players uh, in the, in the conference at the point guard position. Um, Mountain home may have something to say about that, but you know, there's uh, two outstanding point guards, young point guards at rival schools conference, just the one-on-one battles with those two, you know, throughout the course of the season are fun to watch. Yeah. So the big question is, can Minico challenge Mountain home, for that second spot, possibly they were, we're recording this on Wednesday, January 5th. They're, they were scheduled to play mountain home tonight in Rupert. I'm not sure that game's happening because of, uh, you know, winter weather and all that stuff. I haven't heard officially, but I, I have to assume that game is off. Yeah. Minico school got canceled last night. So yeah, everybody is in kind of panic mode, trying to get everything rescheduled. So. Well, so here's where it gets interesting. A, a lot of times these games just get moved to the to the end of the regular season, right? There's a little bit of wiggle room at the end of the calendar. Well, Minico's final game of the regular season is in Mountain Home on January 27th. So you, you ideally would not want to play the same opponent twice in a very short amount of time. So scheduling-wise, that could be interesting. Yeah, no, it's super interesting because we had our game, our girls' game tonight, canceled because of whether twin was supposed to come to our place, but now we're trying to find an alternate date and it looks like we're going to play twin twice within seven, eight days of each other, you know, because that's the only place that we can fit it in. And so it will be tough to find that perfect window, but you know, we're playing um, the night before we're playing at Burley and then turning around, having to play twin Bur- or um, twins playing Highland the night before and turn around to play us. So, you know, those situations w- didn't exist in the original schedule. And so now with all the rescheduling due to weather, yeah, you're creating some interesting scenarios and uh, you, you just got to be, be ready to adapt because it's not going to be a perfect situation. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one last question I wanted to ask you about scheduling, because uh, you're an athletic director would know this. Um, a, a lot of teams like to schedule these tournaments, n- not only because it gives them an idea of what state might look like, but also because you can you can get a lot of games for the price of one, right? There's a certain amount of games you're allowed to put on your schedule. Am I right in understanding that these three-game tournaments only count as one? 
on the on the list? Right. Yeah, you get X amount of games plus one tournament. Okay. You know, and so that's up to three games in that tournament that will count as one. Uh, and that's why they're doing it. They're just going to jam their schedules uh, with as, as much as they can. Uh, and there's a lot of coaches out there that just don't want that many games, you know, because they, they'd rather spend the time practicing. But, you know, it's just a matter of philosophy. But, you know, you're absolutely right. It's you get X amount of games plus one tournament. Cool. The other uh, thing we're going to end on is not winter sports related. It's spring sports related track mm-hmm. and field. When you, when you think of Kimberly athletics, right? The bear name is just synonymous with Kimberly athletics across the board. Um, there's, there's been bears that have gone through and graduated. Gatlin bear is currently uh, playing for Kimberly, but uh, Jackson bear uh, it's been a, it's been, I think two years since he has competed. He's, he's been out of school for a year, but he had some very exciting news recently in terms of what he's going to do with his future in track and field. Yeah. Uh, he is going on to participate in track and field at, uh, an sec school in Arkansas. Uh, the, a Razorback will be Jackson bear, but, you know, kind of talking to, uh, to his mom and his coaches and, and just kind of learning about this kid and the journey that he's been on and how this whole thing started with him. It, it's, it's super interesting and super fun because you learned a lot about, I learned a lot about this kid. Um, but more importantly, I learned about the grueling nature of what this kid was going through growing up uh, as far as getting him himself ready for the, the next level, you know? So for example, um, he, competed at his first competitive track meet at the age of six. Okay. And just loved it ever since. I mean, so you, you want to talk about a kid that just was born to do this, you know, this is Jackson. And when he was 12, he wanted to be able to compete uh, at the, you know, junior Olympic nationals. And his event was the pentathlon. So pentathlon's got five Pentagon five pen. Got it. Okay. Five, <laughs> five events for the math, uh, for the non-mathletes at home. Uh, but I mean, that's what he's doing at 12 years old. So he goes to nationals and, um, at the age of 12 and just competed and got some really, really good experience. And the next summer he went to nationals again in the pentathlon and finished in fifth place and was an all American. Okay. So this kid is starting young, making a name for himself. And the next summer he went to nationals again, competed in the pentathlon, um, and he's in the 15 to 16 age division, um, excuse me, in the decathlon now, because now he's old enough to get out of the five and go to the 10. And so he qualified for nationals and finished in eighth place as a 15, 16 year old division in, uh, and again, an all American. Uh, well, in the next year, age 15, 16 division, he headed off to Sacramento again for nationals. And this year he was able to bring home his first national title and another All-American finish. I believe it was the age of 16. And he did this after blowing away the competition by over 30 seconds in the 1500. I mean, think about that. That The kid, that's flying, you know? And so, and then all of a sudden, his junior year rolls around and, and he he was just injury prone and um, he hurt his ankle, he uh, hurt his hip. I mean, he was battling injuries Um all, all season with his junior year, but somehow at 170 pounds, he finished second at state in the shot put. So, you know, uh, he's, he's, that was tough. And then, you know, COVID hits and 
I mean, everything was just kind of a mess. And so th there was a point there that, you know, they were wondering, is this all going to be for naught? Because I got hurt. Here's COVID. What do we do now? You know, and if you ask any college athlete that's gone on through this COVID mess, uh, recruiting has not been the same. And it's been a tough go because a lot of times you get these these high school athletes that are going on to the next level. But because of COVID, these college athletes get an extra year. And so it kind of bottlenecked a little bit in some of the recruiting processes that people were going through. And and, uh, you know, and here are the Bears just going, OK, let, let's let's see what happens here. So this past summer, okay, national competition um, in Jacksonville, Florida. He goes to compete in the decathlon with 34 other competitors. And, and that's a lot of competitors in a decathlon. I mean, you think about it, 34 times 10, that's 340 <laughs> events that are going on. Uh, and it just takes forever. And so they, they fought COVID testing because they all had to get COVID tested. They stood in line for like two hours, you know, before they could even compete. Um, and then weather delays on top of that. You know, and so the very first day they were out there from 7 a.m. until 1030 at night, uh, just trying to do all this decathlon stuff. And they had a second day ready to go. You know, I mean, so that this was just day one. Um, but Jackson goes into this this tournament as somebody that's got a reputation and somebody that, you know, hey, not only could he win this, he could set a record. I mean, he, he had developed to be that good of a track and field athlete in the decathlon. And so the second day of competition rolls around and they have more weather issues. And so now they're worried about canceling some things. What are we going to do? Um, and at this point, Jackson had a chance to break the national record, you know, at the at the National Olympics here. And so after a, a lightning delay that lasted till nine o'clock, the competition had to be completed by midnight. And there were still two and a half events to go. And so everybody's in this scramble. What do, what do we do? And so the officials were talking about just canceling the whole thing altogether. Um, but the officials then went to all the athletes and asked them, what do you want to do? Well, every one of them said they wanted to continue the competition. And the reason why is because they knew Jackson had a chance to break the national record. And so that was their decision. And so as they prepared to go back out, and uh, the pole vault was next. As they prepared to go back out there, all of the athletes got together and 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 yelled, uh, "Let's do this for Jackson," you know. And so, I mean, talk about how that must have felt, you know, as a kid, uh, having a chance to not just break a national record, but having all the other competitors with you, who you're trying to beat, cheering you on, wanting you to break this record. So they go back out to the pole vault. And everything is soaking wet uh, because they had this weather delay and it didn't go well. Uh, Jackson missed out on all of the pole vault points that were there. Well, his his dad slash coach, who has been coaching him since he's been a little kid and and kind of been the motivation and everything else behind it, you know, told Jackson, he goes, all right, well, you know, that one stung <laughs> a little bit, um, left some points out there. I think 200 points out there. But. You're not mathematically eliminated yet. Well, basically all that's saying is you're going to have to absolutely pull one out of your to get this done because you are behind the eight ball. Um, so what did what did Jackson do? He put on his big boy pants and set a PR in the javelin and then off to the 1500 
which started that night at 10.30 p.m. So, I mean, imagine this. Day two, you, you, you have just exhausted yourself, and now you're going to run 1,500 meters day two of this, this Olympics at 10.30 at night. Well, the only way Jackson was going to win this was he was going to have to run the 1,500 in four minutes and 45 seconds. That's, that's fast. And, and this is coming off. This is coming at the tail end of this this two day grueling uh, decathlon. And so, um, what did he do? He went out and ran it in four forty five, and uh, ended up setting the record. You know. And then after that is when all the recruiting process uh, began to take shape. I mean, you know, BYU and Utah State, and and uh, eventually on to um, Arkansas, where he settled. And uh, because he liked the coach, the facilities, the type of program, just kind of one of those trips that he fell in love with. Um, but, you know, here's a, here's, here's a couple of nice little nuggets of information, too. Uh, Jackson is going to be one of four future Razorbacks uh, among the high school all-time top 10 in the decathlon. Um, so, I mean, that tells you, and you don't hear about this very often. You know, you just you hear track and field in Idaho. Oh, he ran the, you know, in what in 2021, you know, Bear won the 110 meter hurdles, high jump, pole vault, shot put. Right. But you don't hear about the decathletes because that's just not something that's around here very often. This kid is phenomenal in the decathlon. I mean, it, he's, he's an absolutely incredible. Um, but here's something that's kind of fun. Jackson, before he goes to Arkansas, he's going to be serving a, a, an LDS mission, right? Well, he's got an older brother who's coming off of his mission this summer, and his name's Peyton. And Peyton uh, will be returning this summer and competing in the decathlon for Mississippi State. All right, so kind of set the table here. You've got two brothers that are going to be in the SEC competing against each other in the decathlon. And that's going to be when Jackson returns from his mission. So, I mean, what an incredible, incredible story uh, of this Jackson bear kid. And, uh, you know, and you talk to anybody that knows him, he's, he's just one of those humble kids. You know, he comes back from setting the national record and everybody asks how he did. And he goes, eh, I did all right. You know, I mean, that's just the kind of kid he is. So, um, and obviously he'll take on any challenge. So keep your eye on this kid when he goes to Arkansas in a couple of years and uh, man, it's going to be fun to watch. And then, especially if he's going to be battling his brother in the SEC. I mean, I mean, that's a cool story. That's incredible. And we, when when we get into the the spring sports and things slow down a little bit in the off the off season, especially, we're going to do more of these where we bring on guests and interview athletes and coaches. And we we got to get the Bear Brothers in. We got to. That's that's on the agenda, right, Scott? Absolutely, that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, think think about this in in the Magic Valley, you've got two decathletes in the SEC, a Big Ten tight end Colston Loveland from Gooding going to Michigan, you've got a Pac-12 girls basketball player in Amari Whiting. Uh, the talent level in the Magic Valley is as high as it's ever been. Oh, absolutely. You know, and these kids need to be recognized for this too, and so that's why I'm so thankful that we have this platform, and that everybody. Uh, and the, and our podcast is getting a ton of momentum, um, and there's a lot of people watching this, and and uh, and they're willing to give up the stories, and they're willing to talk to us, and 
and tell us those little behind the scenes things that makes all of this so special because there's a lot of that here in the Magic Valley. Yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun uh, as we go through the year. 2022 is going to be bigger and better than than it was in 2021. Uh, we'll be back every week now. Now that I'm over my my illness and back in the fold, we're no more weeks off. We got this every single week. And again, you can listen to this podcast at idahosports.com or wherever you download your podcasts. You can also watch the video of this on the idahosports.com YouTube channel or our Facebook page. All right, Scott, hopefully some of that snow starts melting that wind. The wind, it's not the snow, it's the wind, right? That creates the snow oh, yeah. drifts on the road. Oh, I tell you what, the other day here, it was negative four wind chill. And and that's why I'm doing all of this. <laughs> that's why I'm seeing a barber in, in uh, probably a couple of months. It's like, it's protecting me right now. I mean, it is stinking cold sometimes when that wind gets howling here. I'll put on the mask, uh, not because of COVID, but because it keeps my face warm, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, hopefully the weather situation gets settled soon uh, and you're able to get all of those postponements rescheduled. But uh, we'll be back again next week to talk about some some big basketball matchups. Raleigh Lane Wrestling Invite is is coming up very soon. That's the signature event in the state of Idaho for wrestling. A lot of good stuff coming up. Uh, and we'll be back next week to break it all down for you. Uh, for Scott Burton, I'm Brandon Bainey. Thanks for tuning in to the Magic Valley PrepCast on IdahoSports.com.